Happy football season, everybody. Let's get this. We're coming to you live from the capital city of the great state of Texas overlooking downtown Austin and the University of Texas. Welcome to the weekly broadcast that understands the pride and tradition of the Texas football program will never be entrusted to the timid or the weak. This is the Eyes on Texas. Uh, our eyes are on the Longhorns. A 37-10 win over the Rice Owls to start the 2023 season. We are a product of the Republic of Football on Dave Campbell's Texas Football Podcast Network. Also powered by our presenting partners at Grande Equipment and our five founding partners who we'll tell you about throughout our episode today. I'm Aaron Hogan, morning show host at The Horn here in Austin, hornfm.com, The Horn app, best way to find us. And he is the senior writer at Dave Campbell's Texas Football Magazine, who's already stirred the pot and made some Longhorn fans mad on uh, social media, uh, being a wise not guy. Hard, not hard to do. He is Mike Craven. At Craven Mike on Twitter. At yeah. Mike yeah. on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, if you don't he, follow me, I don't see it because I have that muted. Good. That's the best option on Twitter, right? I didn't even know that. Yeah, you can make it to where you don't see mentions from people you don't follow and who don't follow you. So I didn't know that that tweet that I made became a big deal until like somebody that I actually know retweeted. And then I like looked at it and was like, oh, my God, people are really mad at me. Well, we uh, got to so find out. Fun. Tease that. We'll do a radio tease here, Mike. We'll talk about the tweets you sent out. I, okay. I don't think I thought it was quite harmless, but yeah, was, you know, everybody's a little sensitive these days. Yes. Everybody's a little sensitive. Everything's uh, an argument, and yeah. everybody's always mad and trying to like own people and stuff. It's very weird. Uh, he is our digital producer, Nolan Hogan. He's got a fantasy football draft in about uh, 50 minutes. So we'll see if we can <laughs> knock this thing out, and he can be on the clock at pick number five. It's a league with uh, Craig Way and uh, you know a bunch of guys I used to work with in radio. Uh, so he's taken my place. I've handed the team. I've, I've bequeathed the team to him because I can't have three teams. I got two. I have two other teams I'm already in that I've been in in my neighborhood. One and the one I've been in been since the 90s with a bunch of UT. What guys. a dream as a father. Like yeah. hand over your fantasy football <laughs> yes, reputation. Yes. Don't ruin it, kid. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, so he's got to get to that. But uh, we're looking forward to talking some Texas football. The talking season is over. Actual games to discuss. Here are the multicast that keeps you on top of all things Texas football. We call it a multicast because it's available to watch weekly on the Dave Campbell's Texas Football YouTube channel. Also on the Horn FM, Horn.com's uh, channel uh, at the Horn. Austin, that's where you find the YouTube page there. It's also available for download to listen to when you're working out or working uh, on iTunes and Spotify. You can also follow the show on uh, Twitter at Eyes on Texas FB, on Instagram at Eyes on Texas Pod, and on Facebook we are live as well at Eyes on Texas Podcast. Uh, we are ready to go. Mike, you like my uh, 40 Acres Collection that's nice. shirt that I've got? Yeah. It's exclusively at the co-op. Thank you to Jeff and the team there. Got us some nice gear to wear on the uh, the broadcast, so excited about that. And before we start and talk some Texas football and a win in their their opener, uh, let's thank our presenting partner at Grande Equipment, our great friend Wes Murray and Weston. His team understands your reputation is all you have when it's project time. Uh, you need that heavy equipment, large or small. Uh, they do major freeways and uh, toll roads, and then they can help you out at the lease and then the uh, the ranch and things you need there. If you have a project, they're going to get it there. That's why they've, they've operated for 31 years. They're not in the equipment business. They are in the relationship business, right, piece of equipment for your project or plenty of equipment. They'll get it there, job site ready, no hassle. And remember, they're an independent uh, heavy equipment company. Uh, so they work with all major manufacturers. They're not locked into one. A lot of companies are locked into a specific brand, not Grande. Uh, Caterpillar, John Deere, Komatsu, Volvo, more uh, heavy equipment sales and rentals. That's Grande Equipment. Also that great new renewable energy sector that is really growing throughout the state, throughout the country, and all over the world. Grande is your international independent dealer. Find them at GrandeEquipment.com. Remember, Grande doesn't overpromise. They over. 
deliver. If you've uh, seen our previous 19 episodes, you know we break the EOT, the Eyes on Texas, into four quarters, just like a football game. At, ha- at second quarter, we're going to talk about the performance of that Texas defense on Saturday. As good as we've seen in quite a while. Dominant. Longhorns played as many as 30 or more than 30 players, and there was never really a drop-off from the level of play. That tells you how deep that Texas defense is. At halftime, it's all things Longhorns in the NFL. We'll run down more than 30 lifetime Longhorns who have made NFL rosters as the NFL season opens this weekend. In our third quarter, we'll discuss Steve Sarkeesian, Quinn Ewers, and the deep ball dilemma, Mike Mike, uh, Craven. After one game that's already back, they go deep a lot. They don't hit them a lot, and that is a conversation. Fourth quarter, it's our final four. The four big debates and questions coming out of week one of the college football season, including Mike Traven's, Craven's trip to Fort Worth and that incredible TCU game with uh, Colorado, the Buffaloes, and Deion Sanders making it happen. That was wild. That was wild. And you were there. Did you go to the Dion press conference afterwards? Absolutely. <laughs> you had to be there. <laughs> Absolutely. I was on Dion watch. And he said, you guys are supposed to be over there. Y'all didn't believe this. Yep. Y'all didn't believe this. Yep. Uh, but that was cool. I can't wait to talk to you about that and the other big stories from college football. But let's kick it off with our first quarter presented by the TexasMortgageGuy.com. Carlos Carrion. That's Carlos. And uh, remember, it's the TexasMortgageGuy.com online. We'll tell you more about him coming up. But uh, Steve Sarkeesian and Longhorns win the game 37-10. to 10. Um, a, a sputtery first half uh, where the Longhorns scored 16 points. Uh, on, on offense, uh, one touchdown you know, on a Jonathan Brooks run. Can we play the uh, the one touchdown, Nolan? Uh, this was the one touchdown for the Longhorns. Horns came out, uh, actually went for it on fourth down, Mike, on the first drive, and you could kind of see some some maybe some nerves, maybe just first game jitters, and they went for it on fourth down. On third down, Quinn Ewers rolled to his right and kind of slipped, and then they went for it on fourth and two, fourth and a yard and a half, and Quinn Ewers again rolled right and had J.T. Sanders, but some pressure got to him, and he threw the ball at the knees of J.T. Sanders. Uh, so the Longhorns gave up the ball at the 30-yard line. Rice couldn't move the ball. They actually went backwards and kicked a field goal, and they didn't score again until three minutes to go in the game. So the defense did their job. But from that point, Mike, in the first half and first quarter and a half, the Texas offense just kind of sputtered, except for this play right here. This was uh, the, the best offensive play of the first half. It was a nice design by Sark, everything flowing to the left and come back to the right to Jonathan Brooks, the uh, running back from Hallettsville, a play we saw very similar to a play we saw in the Alamo Bowl against Washington. Here was that play on Fox TV uh, last Saturday. Quinn Ewers back at the controls. He will roll and spin and throw it for Jonathan Brooks, and the sophomore tailback is gone. Touchdown, Texas. All right, so that was the best play, the most dynamic play of the first half. Uh, there were also trips into the red zone that ended with field goals. Uh, Burt Auburn made all three. He looked good kicking the ball, but uh, you know the third down conversions weren't there. The running game wasn't really strong. Uh, Mike, what did you make of the uh, the performance? Just start with the first half of the Longhorns. Yeah, I mean, it looked like a Texas team that was playing Rice, you know, and it, it can be hard to get Alabama motivated next that way. Right, yeah, you, you've been looking ahead to week two. You know, since January or February, whether you'll say it or not one. publicly, right? I mean, they're they're humans. You know, they know who they're playing week two, and they know who they're playing week one, right? And so, um, none of this really. I guess my larger point is like none of this really matters if they come out and beat Alabama the same way as none of it would have mattered if they won seventy to zero. If they go and lose bad to Alabama, and right. so for me, I, I see this as a preseason scrimmage. The the way that the NFL gets four or five of those, you know, college football gets one, and you usually put it in week one, and you pay another team a lot of money to come get beat pretty bad. And that's what Texas did. And they looked sloppy. Uh, they looked like a team that was playing in their first game that hadn't played a lot of football in a, in a while. And um, I think that's understandable. They started getting and going. I thought that last drive in the first half 
uh, when they go on, what, a 16-play, 66-yard drive and set up that field goal with no time uh, remaining. It felt like they were starting to get into a rhythm there, and then we'll talk about the second half in a little bit. But, you know, they came out and played well in the second half. But the first half, they just kind of looked like a team who had to figure out that they were in a football game and that this other team was going to play pretty well. And, uh, you know, Rice wasn't just a complete shove over and that offensive line needed some time to, to kind of get motivated and get going. Yeah, and then the third quarter is when they kicked in gear. And, you know, we'll hear Sark here in our first quarter talking about the offensive line and protection issues, especially in the middle. You know, Rice copied a lot of what Baylor did at the end of last year, those those amoeba fronts mm. where they, they put seven men at the line and you're not sure who's going to come and who's going to drop. Baylor did that last year with Dave Aranda and gave Quinn yours and that offensive line some fits. You know, Rice came in with a lot of that. And uh, Sark said yesterday or on Saturday and again today at his press conference that they, they hadn't seen that on film from Rice. So that kind of caught them off guard. Uh, and, and, you know, you'll hear Sark later in the show coming up in our third quarter talking about they need to be more physical. They didn't impose their will on, on Rice. And I know that's concerning for a lot of Longhorn fans. Sark believes that, that they can be a lot more physical than they were in that game. I think you just said it. Maybe the look-ahead factor. I would also point out, and this isn't an excuse because this is the all-gas, no-excuses season for the Longhorns, but there was an on-field thermometer that measured 160 degrees. <laughs> uh, so, again, they were both playing in it, both teams, but, then, you know, you're a 330-pound lineman with all the pads. That can be a tough tough conversation. Uh, and Rice was the more aggressive team on the defensive side of the ball against the Texas offense. Texas defense, different story. We'll get to that coming up in our second quarter. Here's Sark's opening statement after at the press conference after the game, uh, talking about what he had liked about the game and his concerns. Okay. Um, yeah, I think first thing, you know, one thing I talked about to the team in our very first team meeting when we, when we came back uh, to start training camp, and the same thing I referenced to him, last night and the same thing I said to him at halftime I said to him after the game is you know one thing I really like about this team is that we're very versatile um, we are not one dimensional where we have to win certain games one particular way and today was I think indicative of that I think the majority of the people that walked in the stadium thought that game was going to go a certain way when in reality our defense played a fantastic football game and there's not a, always a lot of talk about how good we are defensively and I, I think we always like to talk about what's happening offensively but to think we held we held them I think to 60 yards in the first half um, created three turnovers got a got a really big fourth and one stop um, you know Jalen Ford continues to make impactful plays I thought our defensive front did exactly what they've been doing all training camp long which has played dominant football um, and then we, we minimized the explosive plays. And so that, that, was, that part of it was really good because in the first half offensively, you know, I thought we, we moved the ball decent, especially between, between the 20s and just for whatever reasons, probably some self-inflicted wounds stalled out um, as we kind of hit that fringe high red zone area and didn't convert a couple fourth downs, you know, and you, when you want to be an aggressive football team, um, you know, you, you got to take those chances, and, and the goal is you got to convert more than you don't. And we didn't, we didn't get that done today. I think we were one for three on third down. Uh, ideally, you want to be three for three, at worst two for three. So that didn't go our way. But the first one we get stopped on, our defense goes out, gets a stop, forces a field goal. So we won a way today that I don't think most people thought that's how we would win that game. Um, and so for me, there's a lot of encouragement in that, that we can win games in different styles. I thought the beauty of it was in the third quarter, we, we kind of got things rectified offensively, had three drives, three touchdowns, very efficient. Thought Xavier kind of set the tone with a lot of that. He had a nice punt return, made some plays in the passing game. 
Um, we just felt like it had a little better rhythm to what we were doing. So um, I will say this, we got a lot of things to clean up, which is understandable coming out of the first game. Now we have to make sure we identify those things really well as a coaching staff, um, get, get our players bought into what needs to get cleaned up and get fixed so that we can improve our quality of play. And, uh, you know, that, that's, that's always the goal week in and week out, but especially coming out of week one. And you'd like to think you make your most strides from week one to week two, uh, and we got plenty of things to clean up on that front. All right, Steve Sarkeesian, a versatile team that is being built to win in all phases, right? If you put it all together, and as you said, they go out and play uh, Alabama this week, and the offense is clicking, and you've ironed out some of that sloppiness, uh, playing more physical. Um, you got to see C.J. Baxter flash and Jonathan Brooks and even Jaden Blue look like a like a, a player running back. Uh, you get those things ironed out, and you add that to the defense. Um, you know this is that's the, that's what this team is built for to to be good in all phases and potentially you know great in all phases. Yeah, you're not going to have your A plus game every single Saturday, and, and probably not the first Saturday out of the gates. You know, there's a lot of expectations on this team, and they know that. And they came out, and it felt like a team that was kind of. You know, it's like a boxing match. That first couple of rounds, they were trying to trying to feel it out and see who they were and what they were what they were about. And so, um, I I th- I don't think it's overly concerning. I, I feel like we overreact to week one a lot. Um, they beat a decent football team by a wide margin. It was never in doubt. And when they got going out of halftime, they were able to regroup and come out of halftime. They go touchdown, touchdown, touchdown. And yeah. So uh, to me, that's kind of the the thing I take a, a, away from this football game is once once they got that first half jitters out of the way, they settled in. They played a heck of a football game and they stayed healthy. And you move on to Alabama. Well, and that's the good news here on the Eyes on Texas multicast. C.J. Baxter left that game after his 38 yard run. It was a really nice. Saw some of that vision, that cutback ability we saw from C.J. in high school in Orlando. Uh, big back, but boy, can he can get, he can get backside if you block it well. And he did. Got out the gate and then went down hard. It looked like it might have been a shoulder, which was the initial concern. Turns out it's a rib. Um, may have fallen on the ball a little bit or something. He and fell on his elbow, elbow, and his elbow went into his rib. Yeah. In a way Sark said he fell on the ball, but the ball was in the other hand, yeah. so it really was his elbow. Unfortunately, uh, it's not a shoulder. He was back at practice Sunday and Monday. Yeah. So C.J. Baxter will play against Alabama, and they'll need him. They need that big between the tackles back. Jonathan Brooks still, to me, looks like he's better on the perimeter, even though he had some nice runs. Jaden Blue's more of a perimeter player, so is Keelan Robinson. They need that C.J. Baxter yeah. 6'1", 220-pound presence uh, against this Alabama team, without a doubt. Agree with you. And and sloppy was the word in the first half. Even on those fourth downs, I mentioned Quinn Ewers just threw a bad ball. Um, you know, And then on the other fourth down, you know, Gunner Helm and, and A.D. Mitchell, quite honestly, missed blocks. Yep. Just missed them. I mean, you got to get a hat on a hat in a fourth and two situation if you're going tight like that. And two guys miss blocks, you know, you're going to keep a free runner and you're not going to get it. And that stuff, Sark, you'll hear him coming up, talk about how we can clean that up. We can fix that on top of being more physical. Uh, but let's hear Sark uh, after the game uh, talking about Quinn and his confidence and what he saw. Uh, he, you know, the, to your point, Mike, the thing that you liked is they didn't beat their head against the wall, right? They they could tell that the offensive line was struggling with some of what they were seeing from Rice. And I would say this about Rice. I said this going into the game. It felt like a really good opener. It's year six for the head coach. He's built the program kind of methodically. They've got their best group. You you covered them, wrote a story for Dave Campbell's Texas football. Now, this is this team can't compete with Texas for four quarters, but for a quarter and a half, two quarters, they got some good players and a good coach who had a good game plan. Uh, so this made Texas respond. This made Texas, you know, didn't didn't this all come easy like you saw Oklahoma play Arkansas State and against Butch Jones, and Butch Jones was crying on the sidelines. <laughs> I think an important point is Rice game plan for this game for eight months. Yeah, like this is this is what they gave in front of their team in workouts in March and in April, like. 
you're playing Texas week one. You better figure this out and get in the weight room and know your playbook. And we're, we could get embarrassed, you know, and they, they watch Texas film and they brought in Derek Mason as an analyst in the off season. He came From in Vanderbilt. and helped, yeah. And he came, him and Bloomgren are, are really close and he came in and helped the defense kind of put some stuff together. So I would imagine they brought up some exotic things for Texas flat. You, you reverse that to Texas and they didn't do that for rice. No, they're well, doing that for Alabama. Like, even if they won't say it out loud, that coaching staff has watched Alabama tape in June and July. They're not watching Rice tape in June and July. Right. So uh, they went vanilla. Rice went exotic. And that allowed Rice to, to kind of be on the front foot in the first quarter and a half. Well, think about this for those numbers on the offensive side for people concerned. Yes, the offensive line needs needs some needs some uh, some improvement this week, without a doubt, especially clean up the inside tackles. Both look pretty darn good. But, you know, one of one of the 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 the. the the offensive signatures of a Steve Sarkeesian offense is motion, fly motion. They completed one pass to a player who was in motion at the snap. That's going to be a lot different this week, right? There's going to be a lot that they're going to add. They didn't show much of anything in this game. There was no make the defense react to us on our motion packages and, you know, not a lot of empty sets, not a lot of things you're going to see. Um, gosh, I believe that, that that the play we just saw with the touchdown to uh, to, to Jonathan Brooks, that's a, that's a throwback play. They've shown it now in back-to-back games. They're going to run something off of that that looks like it's that play again for Alabama, and it's going to go somewhere else, right? It's That's the kind of stuff you're setting up. That was the one somewhat exotic play. And then second half, when things were closer than they needed to be, and I would also say in the first half, uh, Mike, to your point, if Jonathan Brooks catches a touchdown pass, a ball across the middle where he's wide open, he walks in the end zone, he has two touchdown catches, and the score at the half is a little bit different. The rabble and the exhausted crowds, not so bad. Uh, and then second half, you're right. I mean, they, the Longhorns, to Sark's point, they, they held Rice to 60 yards in the first half. And then they came out and made three straight three and outs and got the ball back, and the offense went to work, and it went RPO. They just went quick game, quick game RPO. Can we play some of these, Nolan? Let's say they play, play the first one. Uh, this was the, the first touchdown pass or the first scoring drive of the second half. I believe this was the A.D. Mitchell touchdown catch. Uh, A.D. Mitchell, you know, they get the ball. After they get a three and out, get the ball, moved down, and this is uh, A.D. Mitchell's first touchdown catch as a Longhorn off play action, off RPO. The Sanders in motion. Ewer is to throw down the middle. And a nine Mitchell touchdown. All right, so there's Adonai Mitchell, not Adani as we've been calling him. He he made that clear last week. So A.D. Mitchell, nice route, the out route back into the post and uh, uh, single coverage. That's going to be a problem because he's going to see a lot of single coverage, especially the way Xavier Worthy's playing. He had uh, 90 yards and receiving X-Man did. And really, I thought jump-started them in the third quarter with a big catch and run, also had a big punt return. So the Longhorns get a stop, get the ball back. And then it's uh, it's J.T. Sanders, Nolan. Let's fire this one up. J.T. Sanders, this was a play that they had run earlier in the game, and I think they saw – that Rice blew the coverage, and J.T. Sanders, we come back to that same formation, same look. This thing's going to be wide open, and again, Mike, off RPO. When you can play 12 dudes and you defeat the line of scrimmage, you often win. Right down the middle to Tavion Sanders is free, and a touchdown! Again, that's uh, Fox TV or Fox Big Big Fox with the call on Saturday. JT Sanders can move. He was running away from people there. That's a five-star recruit. You know? <laughs> <laughs> There's a reason that people thought. I mean, he's going to be a, a first-round draft pick. He's such a weapon. I mean, you talk about Xavier Worthy. We talk about 
uh, A.D. Mitchell and what they're able to do on the outside. We didn't even mention Jordan Whittington and what he can do. And then you add a, a Sanders in there. Uh, plenty of weapons. It's going to be tough for defenses. And then one more, Nolan. This was the uh, this was the third touchdown of the third quarter. After one touchdown in the whole first half and a bunch of field goals and some red zone sloppiness, it was three straight touchdowns that broke the game open. And this was uh, Quinn Ewers, which I think is also important to put on tape for Alabama that on the zone read plays in, in the red zone, he will keep the ball and will take it to the house. Sideline, first and goal. Brooks the tailback. And Ewers keeps it. From the morning. Hook him. Yeah, he got the boom mic. He got yeah. the boom mic, so the whole crowd heard that. Hook him. So Quinn Yours, who everybody was rabbling about in the first half, uh, came back, played a really strong second half. And I think it's pretty clear, Mike, he's better with the quick passing game. Yeah, I mean, he was 19 of 30 for 260 yards and three touchdowns, no interception. Right. I mean, it was a good game. Like it was a fine, it was a fine game. You want you we'll talk about later in the show. You want him to be able to to find the vertical game and to figure that out. Um, but even if Texas doesn't have that. Uh, this is an offense that can still be really good because of the weapons we just discussed. Yeah, and uh, they were out of sync. I mean, they never got into rhythm. And Rife, I did not know the Derek Mason piece, which is a great, um, which why I love doing the podcast with you here on the EOT because you you know that Derek Mason was is he was a head coach at Vanderbilt. He's one seen as one of the the better defensive minds. Was at Oklahoma State, uh, and he had all off season to throw something together Texas hadn't seen. And clearly, Texas uh, with a look ahead, very vanilla game plan played kind of right into what Rice was doing. It's not an excuse. It just you know, that was the game plan. And Texas, but as, as Sark just said about the versatility, we you know we can win in a lot of ways. We didn't let them move the ball at all. We we held them to 60 yards until they went on a long drive. The gamblers were frustrated at the end of this game because Texas had a chance to cover the 35-point number. And Malik Murphy hit Jonte Cook on his first catch as a collegian. The Jonte Cook, the rookie out of or freshman out of DeSoto, Got it down to about at the 11-yard line. Then the Longhorns had back-to-back penalties. They actually had a penalty on the play that Jonte caught the ball, which was a, uh, a pick route, right? Yeah. Uh, pass interference offensively, so they dropped it back. Then they had another penalty, which dropped it back. Well, it was first and 40. And they end up having to try to kick a uh, with Malik Murphy in. They end up trying to kick a long field goal, 56 yards. It's short. Didn't make it. Burt Auburn doesn't have that leg. And that would have covered the line. And then Rice took the ball and went on a nine-minute drive, their only drive of the game. Nine minutes, and by the time they scored their only touchdown, uh, you know, it was three minutes to go, under three minutes to go in the game, and Longhorns weren't going to cover that line. It was that close, Mike. That's why you don't gamble. I, uh, I'm i a big gambler, so this is going to sound uh, <coughs> hypocritical to a lot of people, but I think the line has skewed how we judge football a lot of times. Like, we view success and Agreed. failure based on if a team covered or not, uh, but Texas – pretty much won that game by 34 points like you know like they they dominated that team while the starters were in they're up by 30 like you know it was a great game i mean they're fine yeah and they but by the by the 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 rub route the pick route penalty on texas was on a a walk-on that you're not going to see on the field again really all year i don't think uh but let's hear sark one more on the offensive side um this is on the offensive line in the run game and what was was struggling because again if you can't run the ball against rice and push them that's concerning mm. but you said it i think those amoeba fronts the the Derek mason defense confused texas they missed a lot of blocks and uh, they were thinking a little bit too much here is sark on what he saw this was on saturday so we'll we'll have more from sark on what he's after watching the tape but on saturday's immediate reaction to his offensive line yeah you know i think from an o-line perspective um I thought it was fine. You, you know, we got a lot of different stuff today. <laughs> That's always one of the challenges in week one. You, you never really know. Um, and when a team does something dramatically different than what's on tape, you got to be, you got to make those adjustments, not just as a staff, 
but the players need to. And I thought we found some rhythm in the running game. I thought the protection uh, got better as we went along. Um, so on, on that front, do I want it to be better? Of course I do. Like that aspect, I'm always striving for it to be better. But um, I do understand where some of the mishaps might have come. And so we got to get that cleaned up because if, if not, some of the same things we saw today, we will continue to see. CJ obviously had that nice run. Um, and I think what it looked like is he landed on the ball and, and kind of had a, a rib issue uh, that we just wanted to make sure we were getting checked out. So I, I, I don't, I'm hopeful it's not serious, but, but we don't know for sure yet. All right, there's Sark. We'll hear more from Sark about it now that he's seen the tape and how they're going to plan for Alabama coming up in our, in our third quarter coming up. And remember, this is the week, Mike, where we had a second recording every week to the Eyes on Texas multicast. Uh, this one is being recorded on Labor Day Monday. We're laboring for you, and then we will do another one on Thursday. It'll drop on Friday, so and that'll be a full preview of the Alabama game. So in this one, we're not going to do a lot of Alabama. Uh, coming up Thursday, another will drop, and we'll go f- knee-deep into this huge game in Tuscaloosa. Nick, uh, Steve Sarkeesian going back to Brian Denny Stadium where he coached for so long. Overall, Mike, I think you've said it. The uh, offense, probably a C performance in the first half. Give him an A in the third quarter, and all in all, a um, lot to build on. But at the end of the day, when your defense plays like that, you're going to win a lot of football games. Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing is that they stayed healthy. And you want, if you're going to have that miscommunication and some some miss ta- or miss blocks in the front, you want it to be in week one and get it out of the way and get it on tape, be able to point to some guys. I mean, maybe it's a good thing moving forward. So, I mean, I, I just think the negativity around week one is always weird. For Overreaction. Every, for, it's for every fan base, too. It's not just a Texas Yeah. Uh, you know, Colorado's going to win the national championship, and Texas is going to go seven and five. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> After week one. But again, it's week one. I think you laid it out. Let's tell you about our first quarter partner. Uh, you know, we talk about our founding partners. Uh, this was our first ever uh, partner, Carlos Carrion, the Texas mortgage guy. I uh, heard we were doing this and said, man, I want to be a part of that. Love Longhorn football. Love what you guys do. Uh, so when it's time for a new mortgage, uh, go with go with Carlos. Can't recommend him enough. Almost a decade in the business. And if you're going to make a decision like that, it's one of the biggest financial decisions you'll make in your life. Um, buying a home, refining your house, buying a rental property. Um, go with Carlos every single time. He's a diehard Longhorn fan like you, but he's lived in Austin his whole life. Knows this market like the back of his hand and the real estate side of it and the uh, mortgage side of it. Uh, so you're working with someone who you have common interest with. You can talk football, but get this thing done. Carlos is the best. Again, a diehard Longhorn fan, a decade in the industry, not here to just provide you a quote, but guide you through this uh, tough situation right now. It's still time to buy a house because these prices aren't going down. The mortgage rates are, are higher than you want them to be, but now is still the time to get into those houses. I promise you, years from now, you'll thank yourself that you did. Here, He is your guide to help solve those problems, strategize one of the most important financial decisions of your life. Great communicator, fast response times. Uh, you can call him or I just go to the website, the TexasMortgageGuy.com. That's the TexasMortgageGuy.com. My good friend Carlos Carrion. Second quarter delivered by the great times and good, wonderful food. The Scratch Comfort Food at Hayes City Store and Ice House. Absolute destination location in Driftwood, Texas. Now we're going to tell you about them coming up. But Mike, the defensive dominance, we talked about a little bit in quarter one. Let's pick up on it again. Uh, and just how darn good this defense was. Tavondre Sweat had five tackles and if he and Byron Murphy are going to play like that, and look, that's not an outlier. Sark talked about those guys wrecking their their scrimmages in the in the training camp. If those two dudes are going to play like that, and then you add a guy like Ethan Burke, who played like a maniac on the outside, setting the edge, I was really surprised and, and impressed to see Chris Chris Ross, Christopher Ross, a redshirt freshman from North Shore. He was playing off the edge, wearing number ninety seven, and quick twitch, first step. These guys got a lot of dudes up front that can wreak havoc. 
to find your sweat such a joy to watch play football. <laughs> yeah. It's like like literally a dancing bear out there, just like crush, crushing people, playing with a lot of joy. He's a better pass rusher than I think a lot of you see him on the on the box on the box score on the, in the two deep and you're like, well he must just be a nose tackle, run the yeah, you know, stuff run the rugger. Doesn't but like he is so good uh getting upfield and he has been since he was in Huntsville. He was a big sack getter uh, back at Huntsville High School. I'm going to say something that I don't know if it's a hot take or not, but the starters for the Texas defensive line in the interior, at least, are better than they were last year. Agreed. Like, uh, the combination of Murphy and Sweat is better than Ojimo and Coburn. And so, for me, it's about if Texas can develop those guys after that. And if so, they go from having the best interior defensive line in 2022 and probably in the nation, at least in the Big 12, to probably the exact same thing, maybe even better in 2023. They were incredible. It starts up there. And uh, Bo, Do- Bo Davis and the job he's done is, is there. The the difference between the Texas defensive line pre Bo Davis speech and post Bo Davis speech is is awesome, yeah. right? Like it it is tough love personified. Well, and you got to think, you know, Texas's offensive line has been dealing with those guys all through camp. These big monsters. Now all of a sudden, you got this little rice group that's like kind of <laughs> running around like yeah. like uh, like butterflies trying to kind of you know outrun them. Uh, maybe that was part of the the problem on their side of the ball. Uh, but either way, yeah, and, you know, Jim Nagy, who is the director of the Senior Bowl, had an interesting tweet re- re- during the off season talking about what you just said. I mean, Coburn and and uh, and Ojimo got drafted late in the on day three of the NFL draft, but he believes that Murphy Collins. Alfred Collins, for sure. Even Tavondre Sweat have higher ceilings and maybe higher drafted players. And then you had a guy like Vernon Broughton, who graded out in pro football focus at over 81. He brought a presence. And I, you, you saw Chris Ross in high school. This guy's really good. Yeah, he's a, he's a run stuffer. He makes some plays up the field. Um, deceptive, deceptively athletic. Um, so Texas, you know, Texas needs to be good on the offensive line and defensive line. And on paper, um, there's not better position units like that have grown under Sark. Like they've gotten so much better up front, and it all starts up there. And that makes Jalen Ford's job easier. That makes the the safeties and cornerbacks' uh, job much easier. And then the emergence of Ethan Burke uh, could be the difference between this team or this defense being good to really good or being great. And if he can play like that on a week in week out basis, all of a sudden they got something now. Yeah, and he he won the job right when they the depth chart came out on Saturday. And he was the number one edge player opposite Baron Sorrells. There was no or. It was him, then Justice Finkley at the number two. But, man, they're going to play all those guys. And by halftime, they had played over 30 defensive players, Mike. And the thing I was so impressed with was there was no drop-off at all. I mean, whoever was coming on the field, it just felt like it was the starters again. And that was at every level. Let's see some of the highlights from Fox TV again. Appreciate them for providing it. This is, uh, Nolan, what do we have? Do you have the, de- the, uh, the sack from Benda? Let's do that. This was when they came. And this was really a, a sack that was credit to David Benda, who earlier on that same drive gave up the only big play Rice had in the game. They, they had a nice move, uh, play call where Bloomgren and the quarterback, JT Daniels, flowed everything to the right and then cut across with his own. And David Bender just lost his eyes, got caught looking in the backfield. But then he made up for it with this play. And just watch the jailhouse here. Byron, Byron Murphy is the one that really created this because it was Rod Babers this morning, Mike, uh, when we were doing the show on the horn on Labor Day, saying that you know, Tavondre Sweat playing at that level will demand a double team Yes, from everybody, including Alabama, yeah. which gives Byron Murphy single team. Byron Murphy, who's all Big 12 kind of player, all-American caliber player, is going to get single-teamed most of the time. That's a problem. And then Ethan Burke's going to get single-teamed. And then, you know, th- this is this is what this defensive line can be. Here is uh, what you saw with the, the, the big sack. I think it was the first sack of the year for Texas. This was credited to David Benda. On this roster for Rice out of Houston, Texas. Oh, boy, a swarm of burnt orange in the kisser of JT Daniels. There is Benda. 
who you want to go in. Yeah, playing quarterback, <laughs> I mean, those guys, they earn their chops. Man. They earn that's, their chops. Well, they had like four dudes them. hitting them on yeah, that play. That was like a thousand pounds of dude <laughs> yeah. sacking JT Daniels. Well, and then let's see this. And you mentioned that we were talking about the interior D line being so good. Well, now you have Jalen Ford playing his brand of middle linebacker, a guy who I thought should have been the defensive player of the year in the conference a year ago, picking up right where he left off. This was JT Daniels trying to force a third down and long. It was like third and 17. Uh, and Jalen Jalen Ford knows this all too well. He, they're not going to run the ball here. i got to play coverage. And here's another one of those you know, classic one-handed interceptions from number 41. Third and 16. Got to get all the way down to the 36. Daniels tapped and intercepted. He had four last year, and Jalen Ford has one in the opener this year. The best intercepting linebacker in the conference last year. There you go. Uh, great play right there. And there was one other interception. Can we play this one too, Nolan? This was Austin Jordan. And this is why the game should have been blown out in the first half and why Texas fans are frustrated because they, you know, had all the stops. They had all the turnovers. They had the red zone. I mean, it could have been, they could have covered the spread in the first half if the offense hadn't been sputtering and Rice hadn't played a pretty good brand of defense there that I think surprised Texas. But here's the other interception from the first half. ...of college football last year in TCU as Rice and JT Daniels have the ball back, but not for long. Intercepted. Austin Jordan for Texas gets it right back. All right, so there is Austin Jordan out of uh, Denton Ryan, yeah. I believe. So, yeah, a lot of depth in the secondary, a lot of depth on the defensive front. I think there's still a little question at linebacker, but Jalen Ford is as good as there is in the country. I think Jalen Ford was the defensive player of the week announced today by Pro Football Focus. He was he graded out almost 92 uh, for what he does. What a what you know, our friend Rod Babers calls it the, the the central nervous center of your defense to have that guy in the middle with those tackles and then Jalen Catalan and the safety, Jade Barron. This is a very, very good group right up the middle. Yeah, I mean, absolutely great. You know, that, that question, or the only question really is the guy next to him. And, you know, I think those dudes are going to get better. Those young guys are going to get better and better as the season gets on. David Benda has always had the potential, but he also has the potential to do kind of the play you were talking about where he just kind of has a brain fart a few times. Yeah. And that's always kind of what's kept him off the field consistently. Uh, but if he can figure out that part out, um, you know, he's he's as talented as anybody on, on the roster, and he always has been since the Cinco Ranch days. Well, coming up on our next edition this week, we'll talk about Alabama and Jalen Milrow, a former Texas commitment. They're going to have to have a plan for Milrow and his legs. There's no doubt about that. Who spies? How do they you know, deal with a running quarterback, which they've struggled with, but they've got a lot of pieces. Uh, how about Anthony Hill trying to chase around Jalen Milrow with his athleticism? Ethan Burke. Somebody suggested to us this morning that Ethan Burke, former lacrosse player with his athleticism, could stand up and be the spy if you need him to. You could have multiple guys because you don't want Nick Saban knowing who that spy is, right? You want you want to disguise the spy if you're going to do that for Jalen Milrow. But real quick, in our in our second quarter, brought to you by thetexasmortgageguy.com, let's hear Sark, his thoughts after the game about the dominance of his defense. Yeah, no, it really has been, you know, where, you know, I think at the end of the day, you know, when you can play really stout front defense and you can play tight coverage and you can minimize the explosive plays, that, that makes it hard offensively. And um, that's, what our, that's what our defense has been doing. I think we've got a really good scheme. Um, like I said, I've, I've talked a lot about our staff continuity over there, and I think the, the line of communication amongst the coaches and the players is, is really clean. 
Um, and we're playing to our strengths. And like I said, we've got a really good front. We've got a veteran inside linebacker who can kind of manage a lot of that. And we've got a really deep secondary. And we were able to rotate a lot of players back there today. And um, that, that, that was really encouraging. We were able to affect the quarterback. We were able to really kill the run. And that's, that's winning football. You know, on the end of the day, if, you know, to go win a championship, you've got to play great defense. And, and we started off uh, on the right foot today. All right, to go win a championship in the all-gas, no-excuses season, you got to play great defense. Great start. Great yeah. start, Mike. Yeah, great start. Uh, defense came out from that opening snap. And you always wonder, like, if a team's going to play with their food early on. <laughs> yeah. um, and Texas, at least on the defensive side of the ball, like, came out and made a statement early that you're not going anywhere and we're the physically dominant team here. Uh, and so they did everything that I think the Texas fans wish they had seen the offensive line do. Um, but, you know, if you can play – defense travels – Right, and that kind of that, that can be a little bit more consistent than the offense. Offense is about rhythm and timing and a, and a lot of different factors, uh, but that's going to keep you in a lot of games, and that's going to win you a lot of Big Twelve games, especially if you can play defense like that. Defense travels, run game travels. Uh, we'll talk more about that coming up because uh, Sark was not pleased after watching the film about the physicality of his offensive line. Also, a change that Sark has made this year for his quarterback Quinn Ewers. We'll get into the Sark Quinn Ewers deep ball discussion coming up. And, uh, you know, the, the change that was made that I think can help Quinn yours and maybe help this week when, you know, things were sputtering in that first half with that third quarter, you know, three straight three and outs, three straight touchdowns, 21 quick points. That's the, the capability of this team. But everything you saw in the first half is what's concerning about Texas uh, with the offensive line in the interior. Quinn yours still maybe looking like and reverting to some old habits at times. We'll talk about that coming up. That's our second quarter. It's brought to you by Hay City Store, and the Ice House on the outside is open for business every day. They're ready to serve you and your family some of that scratch comfort food. It is so good. They're open every day, offering seating on their beautiful patio under the canopy of oak trees. Even if it's hot like it has been, they've got the big fans and the misters blowing. It's still a really, really great atmosphere. Watching games in their outdoor sports bar. And they have the indoor if you're looking for the AC. Hey, City Store and Ice House quickly becoming famous for their scratch Texas comfort food. They have wood-fired pizzas, house-ground burgers that are awesome. Uh, the chicken fried steak is as big as you big as a plate. Uh, the you know, truck stop enchiladas are amazing. There's not a bad thing on the menu there at uh, Hey, City Store. Over 53 beers on tap, cold drinks as well. It's 8989 FM 150 in Driftwood, Texas. Hey, City Store and Ice House. Ice House complete mouthwatering menu is online at HayCityStoreTX.com. Also, as we say, check out uh, Taste on Main, their new location. It's not the same as Hay City. It's the same owners, Tamara and Travis Tyndall. They've opened up a beautiful steakhouse, oysters, seafood, raw bar, right on Main Street in downtown Buda. That's called Taste on Main. Either or, you can't beat it, right? Uh, it's Hay City store for your big gatherings and just a night out to enjoy it, live music. Uh Taste, a little nicer. Go take your anniversary there. Go to a birthday, whatever it might be, special occasion. Do it at Taste on Main. In Buda. All right, Mike, we'll get back to the Texas football chatter in a minute. The Longhorns win over Rice 30 to 37 to 10. Also, before the uh, the end of the show, we're going to get Mike's thoughts on the big games from around the state of Texas. You were in Fort Worth for the big one with Colorado was. upsetting TCU. Can't wait to talk to you about that. But real quick, uh, in our halftime, presented by our friends at One Source Gas, delivered with just the right pressure by One Source Gas, uh, your one-stop shop in Central Texas for all gas products. Uh, halftime. Uh, as, as the dust has settled on cutdown day, more than 30 Longhorns made rosters all over the NFL, Mike. 30 over 30. They had 41 in camp, 31 made rosters. Of note, Colt McCoy, not one of them. Colt McCoy did not make the Arizona Cardinals, who we believe are tanking their season. They're trying to lose football games. They have every intention of drafting Caleb Williams next April. And that's why you cut a veteran like Colt for a dude like Joshua Dobbs, right? That's why you do that. Yeah, that is why you do that. 
Uh, shout out to Colt McCoy though for running that that game for so long. Yeah, I mean backup money in the NFL, get that pension. Um, good bread. I mean that's that's not a bad job if you can get it. Good. For and him. hopefully he lands somewhere. But you know maybe he's done thirty six. No. Maybe he's done. Made a lot of money. And uh, you Let's know Arizona, fishing. he was too competent for the Cardinals. Like it, this guy might rally the troops and win a game or two that we don't want to win. We're going to avoid that, so we're cutting Colt. We're going to keep Josh Dodd and Clayton Toon, who we got to see at Houston. He's there, yeah, and uh, he's an interesting player. But Arizona also, Tikes, right? what's that? He was on Friday Night Tikes, right? I don't know that show. I don't think Clayton Toon was, no. He's was from it? up in DFW, I believe. Okay. All right, well. either way. Uh, all right, so Arizona has Chris Boyd, Keontae Ingram, Jeff Swain, if you're counting. Mm. Chris Boyd, Keontae Ingram, and Jeff Swain. Atlanta, Taquan Graham, and a guy named Bijan. A guy named Bijan. Who in a fantasy football draft I was in on Friday night went number one overall. It's, it was a group of Texas graduates. Sure. Uh, but Bijan went number one overall. He is the current odds favorite to win Offensive Rookie of the Year with the Atlanta Falcons, wearing Michael Vick's old number seven. Baltimore's got Devin Duvernay and Justin Tucker. Ducker's quite simply the greatest kicker in NFL history from Westlake, right here in our neighborhood where we record our podcast. It's kicker you. You're the best punter, best kicker in NFL history yeah. here in Austin. And I love Devin Duvernay. He, he didn't get a lot of coaching at Texas when he was here. He kind of had to, I remember Quan Cosby always telling me that he kind of has to coach himself. He's not getting much from this group. And uh, he, there he is still playing in the National Football League. Buffalo, Puna Ford. Watch Puna Ford this year. They need some help in their interior next to uh, Ed Oliver. Yeah. And Puna Ford's going to bring that. He's just a lunch pail dude. Uh, Carolina picked up Deshaun Jameson. The 49ers released Deshaun. He had a great camp, but San Francisco's just too damn talented. And so Carolina, good spot for him, I think, Mike, because he's, you know, that, that's a team that's looking to build young, and, and Deshaun flashed in the preseason. And he's going to help on special teams, too. Chicago, Deontay Foreman and Roshan Johnson, the double barrel backfield of. Uh, of Chicago Bears. That's good. Uh, Joseph Osai's got a bit of an injury, but he's in Cincinnati. Had a good training camp. Cleveland has Marquise Goodwin now. Denver has P.J. Locke and Caden Stearns. Houston, Texans, Hassan Ridgeway, the Green Mile. Also, Andrew Beck. Andrew Beck. And Andrew Beck's going to play for the Texans because they're running that Mike Shanahan, or Kyle Shanahan system. Think uh, use check in San Francisco. Andrew Beck's going to be that H-back, fullback guy for the Texans in front of Damian Pierce this year. Uh, find a pretty good offensive line, too. By the way, Texans fans, Kenyon Green, not going to play this year. Out. That's a tough one. He, he was a 15th pick of the draft out of A&M, and it's going to be two years now that he's missed most of. That's not good. That's not good. And, uh, I'm out of my depth here in this NFL conversation. I know. I'm letting you carry this. I don't know. And Juice Scruggs, they drafted out of Penn State, who also got hurt. So Texans, uh, they think their offensive line is going to be good, but it wasn't good for their health. Sam Ellinger has landed as the third-team quarterback in Indianapolis, where he'll play behind Anthony Richardson and – Gardner Minshew, Kansas City, Condre Coburn made the team, actually had a good camp in Kansas City, and the Chiefs have Chris Jones holding out. So, yep. you know. Shane uh, Bouchel make the team? What's that? Shane Bouchel still on the team. No, he didn't. No. He did not make that team. Uh, oh. I don't know if he got picked up either. But Cameron Dicker is the starting kicker for your L.A. Chargers because he beat out Dustin Hopkins, who was traded to Cleveland. So Dicker the kicker out of Lake Travis is in. Deshaun Elliott is in Miami, along with Brandon Jones and Connor Williams. Minnesota has Jordan Hicks. Uh, New England has Calvin Anderson from Westlake High, Adrian Phillips, and Brendan Schooler. We all saw Brendan Schooler here thought he's going to be in the NFL, but no, there he is. Malcolm Roach is uh, kind of a problem. He's, he's a disruptive force on the New Orleans defense. Uh, Philadelphia has more Ojimo, who made that team. That's a You get drafted in the seventh round and make that Eagles team. That means you had a good camp, Mike, because that is a talented team, um, especially on that part of the, the side of the ball. Their defense has a ton of dudes. You mentioned Michael Dixon, best punter in the NFL. He and Quandre Diggs are still Seattle Seahawks. Uh, Washington has Samuel Cosme. 
And there you go. That's your Longhorns in the NFL uh, on halftime. Brought to you by our friends at One Source Gas. Uh, keeping your eyes on the roster tracker, One Source Gas is your Texas compressed compress gas leader. One Source Gas provides compressed gas needs such as CO2, nitrogen, oxygen, and propane, uh, and many more to various industries throughout the great state all over Central Texas. They are your leader in CO2 for the service industry. So if you have a bar or restaurant, you got to have that CO2 for your, your tap beers, uh, hospitali- hospitality industry, also serving the medical industry with my good buddy Richard Strever. One Source Gas is locally owned and operated, has been for a, a dozen years now. They understand that exceptional customer service is the key when providing products to run your business. So, onesourcegasatx.com. That's the website, onesourcegasatx.com. Or call Richard at 512-214-8484. One, by the way, one is spelled out, O-N-E, onesourcegasatx.com. All right, time for our third quarter. Brought to you by my friend, Dr. Greg Eckert. You got my nice uh, 40 Acres Apparel shirt, Mike. By my next episode, no, by next week's first episode i'll have a brand new smile from dr eckert i'm going in i'm going in one smile new smile in one day with dr greg eckert i'm gonna be uh might might, might be flashing the might surprise might scare you a little bit uh, next week get a grill getting it well i'm not going to grill tom herman <laughs> we're getting some oh, uh, some work done turns yeah. out i'm a i grind my teeth when i sleep and so i now have a mouthpiece but it's been too long so i've worn down my teeth we're gonna go in and rebuild them a little bit get them back to the size they should be and that's gonna be fun then i'll tell you all about dr eckert we'll be able to show you the the pearly whites mike yeah man making that happen at 50 years old uh but we'll tell you about dr eckert coming up but let's talk third quarter and it's uh, all about the offense, back to that and that side of the ball, Mike, because, uh, you know, Texas sputtered early. So Texas fans are panicked. They're seeing a little bit of the same Quinn yours from a year ago. I thought you put it in great perspective. You know, there were some missed assignments. There were some missed plays. There were some opportunities missed. What, what do you say to Longhorn fans who are already in a panic that Malik Murphy needs to be playing quarterback and Quinn's not the guy? Uh, he's not going to get it done. What say you? I say that you can win a Big 12 championship and possibly get into the college football playoff with Quinn Ewers being a guy who doesn't complete many passes 20-plus yards downfield. Like Texas has enough weapons in the short passing game with the tight ends, with Xavier Worthy after the catch, Jordan Whittington over the middle, the running backs coming along along the season, that great offensive line. The defense, what we just spent 15 minutes talking about, like Quinn Ewers doesn't need to be Trevor Lawrence. He, does, he doesn't have to be the guy that leads Texas uh, to a national championship Maybe it's one of these things that everybody else leads Texas to a national championship, and Quinn just drives the bus. And when you look at a five-star guy who was rated as highly as he was out of high school, I, I think you put the pressure on him to be that guy and to be a Heisman Trophy finalist and to lead the league in nation in, in passing and to and to be a top five draft pick. But maybe he's not. Maybe he is. You know, and we'll find that out more and more as this season goes on. But I don't think they need Quinn Ewers to be Vince Young to, to win a lot of football games. He can be more Colt McCoy. And Colt McCoy had some, you know, holes in his game that they were able to coach around and figure out a way to go about this. This is on Sark. If he can't if Quinn Ewers ends up being a guy that just he's just not a deep field guy. It's on Sark to hide that and figure out a way uh, for that offense to move uh, in spite of his uh, his shortcomings. Well, and he's shown the ability out of RPO to, the, to to execute at a high level in the quick passing game. Yeah. That was the third quarter. Uh, quick decisions, quick reads, quick throws. You have the uh, talent to do it. But Sark, even after the game on Saturday, said, we're going to go. we got to take our deep shots. We have to. And we'll hear Sark coming up on the deep shots. But let me play one thing from Sark on Saturday that I think people uh, – this is good because this is something I complained to, to Sark about last year and criticized Sark for. Because when he's the head coach and he's the offensive coordinator, when Quinn was coming off the field having bad series, there's no one to talk to him. 
You know, Sark's got to be in the headset coaching the team. Uh, and so here's Sark talking about A.J. Milwee, the offensive coordinator, quarterback coach, has come down from the booth, and he's on the sidelines now. I thought for the most part he did. I thought there were moments where, uh, you know, I, I don't know if you guys noticed today, but Coach Milwee was on the field for us this year. So he's kind of down having his position coach on the field, and Coach Jackson was upstairs. So I thought Coach Milwee and he have good rapport, and I thought that helped when things maybe got a little uneasy, uh, when the protection wasn't quite as good as we would have liked it to have been. Um, I thought he got himself kind of re-centered. And that was a real positive for me because a year ago, you know, he got sacked a couple times there at the end of the first half. I don't know what might have happened coming out into the second half. Today, he comes out in the second half, looked much more comfortable. So he was able to recenter himself, which I think shows a lot of maturity on Quinn's part. Uh, but I think also having that rapport, having Coach Milwee on the field, I think was helpful as well. All right, there's Sark. So A.J. Milwee on the field. Uh, there's still some issues. They're going to take their deep shots. Um, you know, they, they, Quinn yours, and here's where the criticism comes. Quinn yours threw six passes on Saturday of 25 yards or more air yards, completed zero, yep. none of them. And let's hear Sark today. This was at his press conference today. What we just played you was from Saturday after the game. This was from, uh, today where Sark again was asked about the deep ball. And we saw it last year. Fans get frustrated. Think the Oklahoma state game. And we also know that the Washington defensive coordinator, Pretty much put it out there ahead of the Alamo Bowl that, you know, we're going to play our DBs back and Sark won't be patient and just take the underneath stuff. He's going to always force a deep ball. And if we saw the game Saturday, a lot of times that deep balls come on first downs. And then it's second and 10. And then you're against the chains and the Longhorns were. were so the deep shots, are, they're going to be there, uh, kind of do it in a more natural flow is what people would say. But Quinn didn't, didn't, didn't hit them. After watching the tape, here was Sark today when, when talking about these deep shots and uh, what needs to get fixed. I know the quarterback takes a lot of the brunt of when things aren't just clicking smoothly on offense, but we, we blew some protections that weren't on him, and he took some unnecessary hits and sacks that, that weren't on him. We didn't run a couple routes very well, especially on a couple deep balls when you go back and watch the tape um, and how we ran them. And then the, the throw looks errant, but quite frankly, the route wasn't exactly where it was supposed to be either. And so, but that's the life you live as a quarterback, right? You, you assume, you assume the blame, right? And then you give the praise when it's good. And so, uh, but for Quinn, that didn't rattle him. You know, we got back at halftime, we got things kind of, kind of rectified and uh, came out and played a really clean first three drives there in the second half. Uh, so I think that he's in a good space and ready to go. All right. So there's, there's Sark. It's not all Quinn and he's always going to protect Quinn, but you know, I, I charted the six that he threw, 25 or more. The two down the right side, the deep ones to Xavier Worthy, were just bad throws. I mean, the first one was underthrown, and he took too long. Footwork wasn't right, and he waited half a hitch, and X, X man so fast, he just he couldn't throw it far enough. The second one was going to be open. It was off a of play action, off of a run look, and, you know, if he throws a good ball, you know, X man's running away from his guy on a hitch and go, and this is house call. And he and it drifted out of bounds. It just and you know X Man tried to go get it and uh, it just took him out of bounds. That those were two those two were on Quinn in my mind. But then he had one that he tried to throw it to a Donnie Mitchell down the left side in the second half that was there. Actually, it was in the first half, approaching halftime. It was there, but he got hit in the mouth right as he threw the ball and it th threw the ball off to the other shoulder. Uh, and Adani wasn't able to get to it and readjust to it. Uh, he had one where he tried to force a ball to Jatavion Sanders on a third and eighteen. 
and he was just trying to use that rifle to gun one in there. But, you know, it was into double coverage. It, was, it wasn't going to happen. He also had another one where he rolled to his right and tried to throw to the pylon, let Jatavion Sanders make a play, incomplete. So, again, I, I agree with Sark that some of it was protection, some of it was route. Uh, but, again, pretty clear to your point, Mike, Sark's going to take his shots. He just is. And he's going to force the shots because it's a part of his offense, whether that's good or bad. But we saw, again, you know, gosh, you were at the Colorado game. You had Shadur Sanders throw for over 500 yards. How many passes did he throw down the field? Not many. Not many, right? <laughs> you get the ball into your best player's hands, and then they go get all the yards, and then you get a school record for 510 <laughs> yards, and you probably threw it for, like, 200 in the air, right? right. And so, like, that, and that's, that's why I mean, like, this is on Sark. Like, it's on Sark to get away from his uh, need to push the ball down the field all the time. But those vertical routes sometimes play their part even if it's not completed, right? Some of it's just getting the safety back, right? Some of it's just putting that threat on the tape and on the field and in the cornerback's mind that you can get beat behind you because that's like the biggest fear of every cornerback, right, is getting burnt down the field. And so you put it in his mind, and that opens up those short and intermediate routes even if it's not connected. I'm kind of at the point where, like, this is just like Quinn's – negative you yeah, know like this just is not just a his good Achilles heel is he's just not a great vertical thrower now, that doesn't mean he can't get better at it well, but right now that's just the thing he struggles with well we call it the deep ball dilemma because Sark wants to throw him because it's a staple part of his offense and Quinn may not be very good at it and herein lies the the loggerheads we're at uh but second half they do through win quick game and everything was short and quick out of his hand and uh it all looked good they scored 21 points and got a little rhythm uh, also, I'll say this on the offensive line. There was a point, we should say in this point, that uh, Cole Hudson didn't play in the game. Cole Hudson got dinged up a little bit. He was your starting right guard all last year. He didn't play. DJ Campbell struggled at times, especially in the in the pass pro. Uh, you know, he just didn't look great. And then he got bull rushed at one time, and they they switched Hayden Connor over to the right side. They brought in Neto, you say his last name, out of uh, no. uh, Umiazolo. Uh, the the left. <laughs> no. <laughs> who, 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 by the way, Nato wasn't on the depth chart, which turned out to be a clerical error. On John, blame it on John Bianco and the staff oh, because uh, Kyle Flood was quick to say, "Wait, no, 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 no." He's because you know when he's not on the depth chart on a Saturday morning, everybody's like, "Oh no, is he was he freaking out? Is he transferring? What's up?" But Neto was there, and he he went in to play left guard. And they slid Hayden Connor to right, and that's when the C.J. Baxter run hit, and that's when the offensive line started to play a little better. So you wonder if Cole Hudson's coming back or if they stick with some of that to try to go to Alabama and get your best five on the field. We'll see. But here's Sark today. Can we play this, Nolan, from the press conference today? Um, pretty clearly after watching the film, one real happy with his offensive line and uh, their their lack of physicality. That they they You were concerned, I know, out there that Texas couldn't push around Rice, and so was Sark. You know, I thought Christian Jones had a nice game uh, at tackle. Uh, you know, he's probably the cleanest performer on the offensive line. I, I felt like the rest of the guys kind of took turns with some simple errors, you know, things that, that reverted back to kind of training camp stuff that, um, like I said, I knew we could, we could fix and, and that we're, we'll get fixed this week. The thing I didn't love, I didn't love our physicality. I, I feel like we were a more physical football team than the way we played. Um, and so that's a real challenge to our guys. You know, there's a style and manner in which we want to play the game up front. And, and we've got to become more physical. We've got to play more physical. And I think that comes when you remove some of the hesitation. Like I said, Saturday after the ball game, I felt like um, we were a little bit slow and a little bit hesitant trying to kind of diagnose what we, were, what we were trying to do up front. And in reality, we got to go cut it loose and we got to play a brand and style of football that, that is ours. All right, there it is. Not as physical as they needed to be, and that's absolutely clear. 
But Mike, as you pointed out, you know this was a Rice defense that had eight months to prepare. They they threw some things at Texas they didn't expect. Uh, they got it under control and they still won going away. And if not for being one sided in 160 degrees in the fourth quarter, they probably win by a much larger number. Doesn't mean they can't go to Alabama and play a really good game up front because a lot to coach on this year, this week, as you just heard from Sark. I feel like we always get in this thing with sports where we think like every game is an indicator of how the next game will be, and this is not how it works. It's just like a random generated deal. And had Texas come out and beat. Rice seventy to three. That doesn't mean that they're going to play any better than they would in week two against Alabama, as if they won thirty seven to ten. And so, uh, week two offers them an, an ability to come out and play a, a full quarter, full four quarter football game. And as we saw last year against Alabama, Texas matched up really well physically. Yes, I mean it came down to just Bryce Young being Bryce Young and making a couple of plays that that Texas couldn't offensively, and that was the difference in the game. Um, and it's going to be that way again, right? If this goes right, it's going to come down to three, four, five plays. And this is going to be whether the players step up in those moments or if the other team's players step up in those moments. And there's not a lot that you can analyze for that or, or predict for that. You've done all the work over the offseason. You just hope they come up big in those clutch moments in a close game. All right. Uh, that's going to do it for our third quarter. Coming up, it'll be our final four, the four big conversations coming out of the college football weekend around the Big 12, around the uh, the country. Uh, I want to tell you that the third quarter was brought to you by Dr. Greg Eckert. That's Eckert with a U, U-E-C-K-E-R-T. He's been Austin's dentist and uh, Central Texas dentist for almost 30 years now. And But he, he he rides his cycle ever, his bicycle. So he is in such good shape. He's in his 50s, but gosh, look like he's, he looks younger than all of us. Uh, Dr. Greg Eckert's the best. I'm going to get in there and get my, my new smile by next Monday's episode. I'm excited to show it to you. And you get in there, you can get a new smile in one day with Dr. Greg Eckert. 345-3166. Also the uh, Brain Vault which he has been working with his uh, NFL partner, the NFL agent Drew Pittman, the Brain Vault technology, the mouthpiece that helps minimize concussive forces and concussions, not just for football players, but cheerleaders, lacrosse players, soccer, any contact sport. You need Brain Vault to play hard but play safe, and it's proven to work to uh, minimize concussive forces by aligning that jaw position and strengthening your neck muscles to minimize uh, the issues there. Uh, talk to Dr. Eckert for your smile, your basic dental hygiene, or for the Brain Vault at brainvault.com. Uh, they bring you the third quarter. Time for our fourth quarter and the final four big conversations of the week. It's presented by Access Discount Healthcare. And, uh, Mike, the big big conversations coming out of the weekend. Big 12 went 10-4 and four of their 14 games. Three of those four losses were really hard to believe. One was not. West Virginia got whacked by Penn State. Not surprising. Penn State looks really good, by the way. They're the uh, seventh-ranked team in the country. Uh, Wyoming shocked Texas Tech in overtime. Uh, Joey McGuire's team, they had a weather delay because of a storm in Laramie, and then uh, they took control of the game early, but then Wyoming came back, won the game 34-33 in overtime. They converted a two-point conversion when Texas Tech could not in the overtime sessions. And then Texas Tech, or excuse me, Texas State, Went into Waco, Mike, and posted the program's first ever win over a Power 5 team, 42-34. First-year head coach G.J. Kinney, his quarterback T.J. Finley, beat Dave Aranda's Baylor Bears. Uh, and then we're going to get to your game in a minute. But give me your, of those two, which is the most shocking thing you saw? Yeah, I mean, that Texas State win at Baylor was the most shocking thing I saw in college football. On, on side. And that includes Deion Sanders going into Fort Worth and winning that football game. Texas State shouldn't be able to compete with Baylor. You know, Baylor's in, in their fourth year under Dave Aranda, that head coach. You know, Texas State added 50, 60-plus new players to that team. Uh, what week one taught us is that the portal isn't some boogeyman that we should be scared of. Colorado looked great. SMU looked great. Texas State looked great. Those are three of the top five or six transfer uh, incoming programs in the nation this year. And so uh, th those teams look good. I 
G.J. Kinney's going to be a star. I mean, he's going to be an absolute superstar. Uh, and there's some questions in Waco, right? Because, like, you look at Baylor's schedule, and uh, they got Utah on Saturday. Um, then they have Rhode Island. Um, then they have Texas, UCF, and Texas Tech. There's a way, uh, a pretty feasible way, that Baylor's 1-5 in five after their first six seasons. Yeah, well, Utah would be a tough games. one this week. And so, uh, yeah, there's some danger zone situation happening uh, for Baylor, and Blake Shapin's out for the next couple of weeks because of an uh, MCL thing. So uh, it'll be interesting to watch ba- Baylor. Uh, Texas Tech has an opportunity this Saturday at home against Oregon to kind of come out and figure it out, and they get that win. Uh, it feels like 1-1 one one was where they were going to be anyway. Uh, the big worry for Joey McGuire is he's 1-5 on the road. Yeah. Um, so he's going to have to figure that part out. Well, you know, everything goes through Lubbock. Yeah, well, he wasn't in Lubbock. Lubbock. He wasn't in Lubbock. <laughs> He's right. If it's in Lubbock, it runs through there. It's outside of Lubbock where uh, the shine wears off a little bit. That's a tough loss. Now, that's a like opponent because Texas plays Wyoming in two weeks. Mm-hmm. What did you see from Wyoming? I thought they looked pretty sharp. Their defense is, is, is pretty good. Linebacker play. I mean, Texas should beat them. But at the same time, Wyoming at home with a weather delay and some funky circumstances, you know, showed out. Yeah, and I mean, people don't think of Laramie as like up mile high or whatever. That's seventy two hundred feet that that football stadium is. So playing Wyoming at Wyoming at night in Week One is different than playing them in Austin in Week Three. And so uh, I, I don't think Texas is going to have as many problems with them. But that was more about Texas Tech. They came out, they were up seventeen to nothing. Um, that's on them for not for not closing them off and winning that football game that they should go and win. All right. So the game you were at, you yeah. uh, you're, you tell tell folks that for Dave Campbell's Texas football, you're going to a different. <laughs> stadium in texas for a game every week and you started with a good one to say the least tcu in the national championship game a year ago colorado went one and 11 you mentioned 51 transfer players in through the portal for Deion sanders including his son who's a pretty good quarterback and they held on for a thrilling 45 42 win travis hunter's performance in that game is a top five college football performance i've ever seen in my life Uh, he played nearly 130 snaps uh, something like 65 on offense, 65 on defense. He caught a touchdown pass. He had an interception. Had he not dropped two, he could have had two touchdown passes and two or two touchdown catches and two interceptions. Uh, the interception he made on the three or four yard line, whatever that was, on that third and one play, uh, was probably the difference in the game. Um, you know, he kind of came off the guy he was supposed to get, showed his instincts, and, and went and got that interception. Shadur Sanders, the quarterback, looked excellent. Uh, but again, I think that was more TCU, right? Like Kendall Bryles' game plan was awful. Um, Colorado's not good up front. You just line up and you smash them. They average seven yards a, a run, but they threw the ball five or six more times than they ran it. You know, I would have just uh, shown up and ran. And then the defensive court, I mean, they allowed 510 passing yards to Colorado. And so uh, TCU's quietly lost three of their last four. Yeah, they have. And uh, the, the Georgia game was a smashing. They lost to K-State in the Big 12 championship game. Did win that Michigan thriller, but lost this one. I was impressed. I mean, Travis Hunter, Deion Sanders has said he thinks he – his goal is to, to be Shohei Otani and play both ways in the NFL. Now, it's not, but he wants to play offense and cornerback. Yeah. I don't know if that's possible. Our buddy Rod Babers doesn't think that's possible. But we'll see. He I didn't, didn't think, think it Shohei was possible was. to do it at Power 5 football. <laughs> right, and he did it. And uh, he is something else, man. Corner. And they went right at the All-Big 12 corner, Josh, uh, Newton. Josh Newton, right at him. Like, they weren't afraid of him at all. And Travis Hunter took him to school. That's a dynamic team. Now, Colorado plays Nebraska this week. I think Nebraska is a tougher matchup for him. Yeah. Because, like, Colorado's Achilles heel this year, in my opinion, is just going to be people lining up and smashing them in the face. Which is what Nebraska will and do. I thought that's what TCU would do, and they didn't do it. I, Nebraska, that's all they know. I mean, that's all Matt Rule likes to do is to get into those body blow fights. And so, uh, yeah, I would lean Nebraska more this week. But, um, 
an incredible performance. One that I mean completely shocked me. I'm still I'm still surprised. Like I was there and I saw it and can still barely believe that they won. How was TCU. the uh, Dion press conference? Because we played a lot of sound from it this morning. Uh, he's you know he's he's Dion. He's yeah. gonna tell you I told you so. I mean it started before the game. I mean he shows up in front of the team bus in like a Mercedes extended SUV, <laughs> gets out of it. Right, and, like, all of a sudden his security and some police officers get out and start, like, moving photographers out of the way. There's only, like, ten photographers. There's not like there was a thousand people. They start moving them out of the way, and then he comes out on the field about an hour before the game, and he does, like, a lap, and he's flanked by Texas sheriffs walking around, even though there's, like, children on the field. Nobody's, nobody's like, under any threat, right? And he's got, like, He's people. creating the scene. Yeah, Sonny Dykes is just standing in the middle of the field by himself, like, you know, and then Dion's walking around, like, with an armed guard security around him. Like, he's just, he's good for college football like college football needs some of that and the big 12 needs some of that right the big 12 is losing texas and oklahoma they're trying to develop kind of an identity and who they're going to be post big 12 having dion in your conference whether it's for a couple of years or for 10 years or whatever uh, we'll put eyeballs on there you will care what happens to dion week in and week out uh, whether you hate him or you love him and i love characters like that we've talked about my my fondness for the wwe uh, many times on this show uh, Dion kind of brings that showmanship element to, to college athletics that I think is what separates it from the NFL and makes it good. I don't disagree. I don't disagree. And I'll say, you know, Dion will say, I told you so. I'm, I, I was the one openly questioning why Auburn wasn't going to hire Dion Sanders when they had an opening. Why would Auburn not hire that guy? In Alabama, he's at Jackson State. You're trying to beat Nick Saban, and you're trying to compete in the SEC. What are you doing hiring Hugh Freeze? Why would you do that? Well, this guy's sitting right here in your backyard. Yeah. And you don't think he could do the same thing or better at Auburn than he could have? He had to talk to a lot of these kids to come to the mountains. They've never been to the mountains. Yeah. They're playing a mile high. Um, but what's Auburn thinking? Like any program, especially one in the SEC, that's trying to find an identity that's separate from Nick Saban in Alabama, Brian Kelly in Georgia, or in LSU, you know, Kirby Smart, why wouldn't you? I still don't get that. I mean, my my long answer would be about prejudice. Yes, right? okay. <laughs> uh, my, my short answer is that we all tend to go down with the ship on decisions that have been made routinely rather than making new decisions that may fail. We'd rather fail with a decision we've seen work a few times. Comfortable. Right, than like take a chance and be the guy who fails miserably or, or fails in a new way. You see that in the NFL with like the type of quarterbacks that they drafted forever. And it started to change with Bryce Young and, and guys who have made that you know, dent differently. But for a long time, it was just you draft the 6'5", 220-pound pocket passer, and we see so many busts because yeah, of that. Yeah, Bill Parcells, right. the perfect yeah, quarterback. Yeah, yeah. Right. And so like I think with Dion, he's going to do it differently. He's going to do it new. His X's and O's are going to be more the coordinators, and he's more of kind of the showman head of the uh, of the uh, the business. And, you know, Auburn's still in the deep south, and sometimes Dion is a little bit brash, and that doesn't, you know, uh, particularly play well <laughs> with everybody. And so uh, I, think, I bet they're kicking themselves a little bit. Um, and I just, for me, I guess he's just waiting on the Florida State job, probably. Like, whenever Norvell goes to, like, you know, Alabama or something, <laughs> when Nick Saban retires, uh, he'll end up taking over Florida State. But he made a believer out of me. I was with you. Uh, I guess I was on the opposite side of you. I I, I kind of didn't know how this was going to go. Uh, oh, I didn't and, either. I, he was I, excellent. I, I thought it was a great hire for Colorado. I didn't think they'd win that game. Right. I picked TCU. I, I just think you didn't think you could rebuild an entire roster on the fly. And I thought, to your point, their lines of scrimmage were going to struggle, and they were able to cover it up with the, the short passing game. Uh, but, yeah, TCU, that, that spoke a lot about TCU to me. But I still think Colorado in that tough Pac-12. By the way, Pac-12 went 12-0 and this weekend. They didn't lose a game. We talked about the best quarterback conference. It's the Pac-12 oh, yeah. uh, with Caleb <laughs> Williams and Bo Nix and 
Um, when Cam Rising comes back at Utah with DJ Uyunglele and Shadur Sanders and Cam Ward, I mean they can they can ball. Uh, they they could still lose four or five games in the in, in the Pac-12. That's still there, uh, but the win it just set the tone. No one will no one will pay attention. The fact they won that game against seen that played in the national championship game when everyone said they couldn't do it, and Dion got to say I told you so. I mean that is that, well, that was that was huge stuff. You were at history, I believe. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to keep that media credential and probably hold on to that, one, right? Because it was, it did seem like a seismic moment in college football Agreed. of this happening, and we're probably going to look back on it for a while. Well, and everything Dion did and GJ Kenny did at Texas State couldn't have happened a few years ago. Right. So people say, well, it's novel. Well, it's never. You weren't allowed to do it. Yeah. I mean, you couldn't bring in 52 new players. And we wondered how it would work. Um, you know, like, could you even do it? How how much does cohesion matter? Is this college football? You're supposed to bring them in and where you know and. Um, they didn't have. I think they had one procedural penalty. Yeah, they, no, they played were a great. clean football they were great. game. Oh, and they came so. out aggressive. If you could get a chance, look it up online. Dion's pregame speech was yep. uh, electric. Electric. I mean, those guys were so fired up to go play football for that guy. It was awesome. Dion was great. Uh, all right. One, so also real quick, go ahead, Noel. One thing about the Travis Hunter performance. The more impressive thing to me is when you see a guy play have a game like that. You see him after the game with some ice on his knee, maybe. He's he's got his pads off. He's he's resting. We see videos after the game, and he's in the middle of the locker room dancing, hyping up his team like he didn't play a snap. Yeah, he played to be young. Yeah, to, to what did you say? One hundred thirty snaps. I mean, it's closer to one hundred forty. Yeah. Jeez, uh, he is such a such a talent. Remember, number one recruit in the nation. So this isn't like yeah. a fluke. This guy was the best player in the country who went to Jackson State to play for Dion. Now followed into Colorado. He is something else. Also around the state of Texas, real quick, Mike uh, Houston held on to top UTSA seventeen to fourteen. Uh, I found out from you that I've now said that the uniforms they wore, the Houston Oiler color scheme, as an old Houston Oiler, my first love, the Oilers, they, they, I mean, broke my heart. Broke my heart, Bud Adams. To wear those uniforms, I don't know why they ever would not not wear those uniforms. Why go back to the red and white? Uh, that that becomes their identity. The city of Houston will love them. People like me who were, were, were you know are longing for the Oilers and those colors, I, I, would, I will root for them just because they're wearing those uniforms Brilliant marketing. Yeah, it was brilliant marketing. They had a haggle with the Titans behind the scenes. And you said you had that story that. for months, and you had, had, had it for months. I mean, I was up there in June, and I, I Pesman, the, the athletic director, knows I'm a big Oilers fan. Uh, I was in Houston when Pez played at Houston, right? He was a linebacker for Houston uh, back in the early 90s. And so we were just talking about the Oilers, and he was like, dude, do I have something for you? And he showed me those photos, and he told me he was kind of – uh, haggling still with the Titans in the NFL. So he wasn't 100% sure they could pull it off, but they had already made the order, so they were going to figure out how to do it. Um, and it was the hard. I told you before the show, it was like the hardest thing I've ever held on to because most of the time, as far uh, you as get the story some, goes, yeah, most of the time you get some news and like nobody cares. Like my friends wouldn't really care about like what's happening at Rice or something, right? Uh, but we all grew up as Oilers fans, or at least a lot of us. I mean, I grew up and you know I lived in Houston for for five or six years of my elementary school. I was nine when they left. Uh, my uncle Will Fuhrer played for the Oilers, and so it was a big deal for me too. And I couldn't talk to anybody about it, and so like, <laughs> that was really hard uh, until it happened. Uh, they should wear them every time, but they won 17-14. What'd you take from their defense? Better than you think, because Frank Harris is a good quarterback. Yeah, Frank Harris is a good quarterback. He threw three interceptions. It's probably the worst I've seen him play since Jeff Trailer was there. But he's a guy who had four surgeries on the same knee since the bowl game and didn't oh. throw a football uh, between December and July. I think there was some rust associated there. Uh, it was a big win for Dana Holgerson. You lose that game and you're staring three and nine or four and eight down the barrel. 
Uh, now maybe you catch some momentum and, and try to get to six and six, seven and five. Anything else stand out? I noted that Sam Houston State played BYU into a fourteen nothing loss, but they still yeah. were in the game. Uh, what else stood out for you around the state of Texas? And uh, we'll wrap this thing up. Yeah, for me, I think the biggest disappointment, you know, next to maybe Baylor and some of those Big Twelve teams, was North Texas. You know, first first game under Eric Morris. Uh, they're playing against Cal at home, and you just uh, you you put that up against what GJ Kenny and Texas State look like in their first game, and you look at what Eric Morris and North Texas look like in their first game. They got outscored forty four to seven, kind of in the second half and in, in the late second quarter there against Cal. Um, the line was only five, and they just got absolutely blown out. And I think one of the things we took from week one is that the transfers were a good thing. North Texas kind of went with the roster that they had for the most part, whereas Texas State completely turned it over, and, and Texas State played a lot better. Yeah, and Texas State, DJ Kinney brought in a lot of guys who played D1, high D1, Arkansas, yeah. Oklahoma. And he brought in a lot of FCS players, too. Yeah, he did. Uh, like, his offensive line is four former FCS players. From Incarnate Word, right? Uh, yeah, and, you know, Colorado with a lot of FCS players and stuff. And so I think it was. I think also not only was it a win for the transfer, for portal i think it was a win for fcs football and the talent that's down there i think it's interesting that uh it's hard to do you, to bring in that many players you have to identify character you have to identify talent you have to identify fit uh and that's hard to do and that's why a lot of people doubted Dion or were wondering same with gj kinney so far so good uh but they'll get more tape on them uh, it's a long season just like texas it's a one game snapshot uh don't over overreact either direction all right that's going to wrap it up let's tell you that our fourth quarter is brought to you by something you need to know if uh, prescription drug costs are are heavy uh you're just trying to cut budget on anything right whether your mortgage is rising your interest rates are going up everything costs more access discount healthcare ask access discount healthcare the website is yourfreerxdrugs.com yourfreerxdrugs.com this is a netflix style prescription drug benefit plan. It's not an insurance card. This is not part of your insurance. This is just like Netflix. You sign up for it and you get the prescriptions you need. It is uh, so simple to use. Uh, Subscriptions $21.99 a month for an individual. $26.99 for two people in a family, a couple, and then $31.99 for a family of three or more, and as many as you need. Uh, If you got five kids, that's fine. As long as you live at the same address, it's $31.99. And the prescriptions, listen, we're talking about 96% of of prescription drugs available through this service. Prescriptions can be mailed directly to you or picked up at over 64,000 pharmacies like Walgreens, CVS, and others. And uh, you go to the website and find out if your drugs are available, the prescriptions you need. And then if you and your families are paying more than 21 bucks a month, 31 bucks a month for prescriptions on the monthly basis and annually, this platform will save you a lot of money. And again, over 1.5 million Americans are already using the platform. They've already collectively saved over $100 million. And this is the important part, I think, that really shows you how great this is. It's a month-to-month service. You can drop it anytime. There's no long-term contract. The retention rate at yourfreerxdrugs.com is 98%. No one gets rid of it once they have it, I promise you. Not insurance, not a discount card. It's yourfreerxdrugs.com. To sign up and learn more, go to that website and get it going, yourfreerxdrugs.com. That's a wrap on another edition of the Eyes on Texas Multicast. Mike, that was uh, awesome. Look forward to more games. We'll do this again on Thursday and get a full deep dive preview into the Alabama game. Let me ask you this. What's your early thought on Texas plus seven and a half? Yeah, my early thought is to to take the points in Texas. You know, to I I think week two is a really good place to gamble because you can react to the overreactions. And uh, if week one didn't happen, Texas is probably a four and a half, a five point underdog. Uh, the fact that they didn't blow out Rice, I think, moves that to seven and a half or so. And so you can get a full touchdown with Texas. I would take that.
Agreed. We'll talk more about it Thursday into Friday. We'll record it Thursday. It'll drop Friday ahead of the game. Uh, do want to thank everybody, all of our partners, uh, Grande Equipment, of course, our friends at 40 Acres Apparel at the co-op with this great-looking shirt I've got. And we are a product of the Republic of Football and Dave Campbell's Texas Football Podcast Network. We're powered by Grande. Thank you to our digital producer, Nolan Hogan, our executive producer, Griffin Hogan, their incredible work again this week. Uh, thanks again to our founding partners as well at Texas, thetexasmortgageguy.com, Carlos Carrion, Hayes City Store, One Source Gas, Dr. Greg Eckert. I'll have that brand-new smile by next week. It's the multicast that keeps you on top of all things Texas football, available weekly to watch it on YouTube on the Dave Campbells and the Horn and Austin YouTube pages and available for download, <coughs> iTunes and Spotify or wherever you find your favorite podcast. Have a great week until our next episode coming up dropping Friday. Hook them.